Hey, and welcome to the Humanity Church Podcast. So excited that you're here. We hope that you enjoy this week's talk and it really connects to your life in a meaningful way. If you're live in the Pomona area, we would love to have you at one of our gatherings at 10 a.m. or at one of our humanity groups that meet all throughout the week all over the city. If you want more information about our community, you can go to www.humanitychurch.com or download our app on your phone on Apple or Android. If you like what you're hearing here and want to continue to support the ongoing work at Humanity, you can text the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977 and give back financially in just about 10 seconds. Hey, and here's this week's talk that was given live at our Sunday gathering at Humanity Church. Well, good morning, Humanity Church. How you doing? It's good to have you here. Good to be with you. My name's Nathan. I'm our lead pastor here. And uh, yeah, let's pray this morning before we jump into our conversation. Jesus, we thank you that you are already with us. We thank you that you have introduced yourself already. And so today we ask that you would continue to move in us, to speak to us, God, to speak through us, God, as we examine our own lives and what it looks like to fully live today, God. We thank you for your goodness and your generosity, for your hope and your freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, every week we've been talking about this. We're in a series called Regrets of the Dead based on the sociological study uh, by this hospice nurse who was with people in their last 12 weeks of their time here on earth. And in, their, in her interviewing these people, she started compiling the top five regrets of their lives. And in that, she came up with the top five regrets. And we've been taking a look at each one of them because not surprisingly, they have a lot to do with what Jesus says around what it means to be human and how we're to live our lives and how to invest the time that we have here on this earth. And so we're taking a look at them for the purpose of reverse engineering our life so that we might look and say, well, if that's where we don't want to end up, where do we want to end up? And how might we start living life today to find ourselves in that destination? And we've already looked at the top three of these over the last few weeks. The first regret that was so common to so many was that I wish I would have had the courage to live an authentic life. And when we talk about authenticity, this is oftentimes very confused in our culture because in our culture, it oftentimes means I do what I want, I do what I want to say, I do what I, I, how I behave how I want in life. And, and this simply is not true. And in fact, culture would say that any restraint or any reservation around how you want to live your life and your truth and your behavior and what you want to say would be a violation of that authenticity. And really what we call that is self-indulgence, not authenticity. And really what this is talking is about is having the courage to discover what it means to be authentically human, to be an, live an authentic life, and then to have the courage to fully step into that. See, the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he informs us of what it means to live an authentic life. And so we actually get to interact with him as he informs us of what that looks like, the texture of what that feels like in our lives. And as we discover that from him, we get to live that out. As we submit ourselves to what it means to be authentic, we start discovering our authentic self. And then the second regret that was found in so many people. In fact, it was found in every single man that she interviewed was, I wish I would not have worked myself to death. And there were so many people that at the end of their days realized they had spent their energy on so many things and they wish they would not 
have. There, there were so many other places where they wish they would have invested their lives. And this really happens not because people wish they wouldn't have worked a nine to five or they wish they would have, you know, lived in a commune somewhere in Guam. It was basically that their identity became connected to what they did, not necessarily who they were. And so they started proving their identity. They started proving their worth. They started proving their value based on their work. And when that happens, when who I am is determined by what I do, it only leads to exhaustion. That's literally, at the end of the day, the only outcome for that. Because, see, work, your work, the things that you give yourself to in life, was never meant to be a place to prove how valuable you were. It was meant to be a place to exercise how valuable you already are. It's not meant to be a place to prove anything. It's to be the place where you go, I, it's already proven. It's already established. So now I get to go give it. And in that, there's so much peace and there's so much freedom. And if we could allow that, our work might just be a reflection of God's greatness in us rather than a proving ground of God's greatness. And the third regret that we talked about last week was I wish I, that I would have shared my feelings more with the people that I loved. And again, our, our culture has a, a very skewed relationship to feelings right now. And so oftentimes when people hear this, they, they think that what this means is like people wish they would have just vomited their feelings on people, right? Like I wish I would have just told people like, I don't like you and you're crazy and this relationship, I'm done, right? That's not what she was talking about in this. It's not vomiting your feelings on everyone. See, in this regret, people had things to share, about the relationships that they were in, about what was working and not working, about what was needed to have the relationship move forward. And rather than sharing what was true for them, they chose to simply keep the peace. They chose to simply maintain the little relationship that they had rather than fully stepping in to this future that God had for them and the relationship. And we talked about how loving someone is intimately connected with saying difficult things in the scriptures. The scriptures actually says that a hidden regret is, that a hidden regret is actually worse than hidden love, and they're connected with one another in that. And many of these people realized this too late. They realized that they had been living a false life, hiding their feelings, hiding their feedback, hiding their rebuke, hiding their correction, hiding what was true for them in order to maintain the peace. And at the end of the day, what they didn't get was peace. They got a lack of intimacy and a lack of vulnerability and a disconnection from other people. The relationships that they longed for lacked depth in that. And so we're gonna step into our fourth regret in this conversation. And to me, this is oftentimes the most sad because it feels the most personal to so many of us. And it's the regrets that I wish I would have given my relationships the energy and the effort that they deserved. In other words, I wish I, wouldn't have lacked, I wish I wouldn't have neglected community. I wish that I would have spent more time with people and less time with things and situations and work and everywhere else that we spend our time and energy and resources in the sea. Because what happened was people got to the end of their lives and what they realized is that they had given their energy to so many things. They had given their energy to work. They had given their energy to responsibilities. They had given their energy to hobbies. They had given their energy to kids. They have given them their energy to their finances, to sports, to weekend trips, you name it. And when they got to the end of their lives, they realized, oh, that was a poor management of the resource of energy and life and time that I had, that I would have much rather spent that time with the people that I say I love rather than all of these other things. See, and here's the thing. 
that it actually isn't that they didn't have people in your life. You would assume that people who had this regrets were like kind of weird introvert people who didn't have community around them. In fact, most of these people said, yeah, no, I actually have lots of people around me. I have tons of friends. I could have called up any single one of them on any given day. I had commutes to and from work that I could have utilized. I had plenty of time that I sat around watching Netflix and I just did not choose to engage the people that I loved the most. See, I found that proximity and access are never a problem when it comes to community. Isn't it interesting that you can be swimming in a sea of people and still be disconnected? You can be in a room like this, sitting next to other human beings for at least an hour and 15 minutes, depending on how long I speak, and you can still be alone in this experience. See, the problem is never proximity and it's never access. See, They regretted that this priority of being connected to other human beings slipped down in the priority list. And at the end of their days, they realized that they had invested their energy and their time and their resources in everything but what mattered. See, one of the things I find most powerful about the movements of Jesus that separates it from any other belief system, any other religion, any other way of engaging the world, even philosophy mindset. One of the things that separates it from so much is that the movement of Jesus can only be engaged and practiced and fully realized with another human being. That it actually is impossible to be a follower of Jesus and not be connected to another human being. Contrary to the popular belief, it is actually impossible to fully know God and to never be fully known or to know others because they're intimately connected with one another. See, religion can be practiced by ritual. You can go put yourself on a mountaintop somewhere and burn incense and do the chants and light candles and smudge the room and do whatever you need to do. And it can still be experienced alone, disconnected from any human being. But the movement of Jesus from the very beginning actually requires another human being to engage in this way of living. See, it actually uses all kinds of metaphors to describe this connection to God that only can happen with other people. See, it describes this movement like family or army or a body or being knit together. These are all things that actually require another human being to be in your life intimately connected to you in order to step into the connection and presence of God. In fact, this started from the very beginning. When you read the very opening of the scriptures in Genesis, God's creating the world and he he says, I'm creating light and day and that was good and he creates birds and fish and that was good and he creates the land and the sea and that was good and he goes through and he creates everything and it was good and it was good and it was good and then he creates the first human, Adam, and he looks at Adam and he says, it is very good. And he gives Adam this task to go work the garden and to go live and fruitful and, be, and, and all of these things. And then he realizes as he's watching Adam, he goes, mm, this is not good anymore. <laughs> and here's the thing. He looks at Adam and he says, ah, it is not good for man to be alone. Which is always an odd thing to me that God says to Adam in this moment because he wasn't alone. I mean, yes, he had all the animals, but, but he was also like walking and talking with God himself, right? 
I mean, talk about having everything you need in that moment. You would think that when God looks at him, he's like, yeah, I am like the sustainer and creator of all things. I have everything. I literally breathed breath into you and created you from the dust. And still he looks at Adam and he says, yeah, it's not good. And it's not good because you're alone in this context. See, you can have something that is good and put it in the wrong context and it becomes wrong. And that's what took place with Adam here in this moment. See, God provides all that we need and the primary vehicle that he does that through is through other people. In our, converse, in our community groups here at Humanity Church, in our humanity groups, we, we have a time every week where we share our struggles and the things that are going on in our lives and the things where we need support in and the things where we need God himself to step into and, and to answer or to intervene or provide us a way out. And how we do that at Humanity Church is we share those things and then we, like I said earlier, are crazy enough to believe that when we gather together, the presence and the power of Jesus is there and so we actually start listening to him and say, what is it that you would like to do? Because how many of you know you have really good advice and you have like really good things that you've learned and even all of those things, if you had the opportunity between your advice and God's voice speaking into that, my guess is that you would probably rather have God's voice, right? And so we, we're just like, let's pause and listen to what God says. And I remember I had a conversation with someone who, who was very frustrated with this because they came up to me and they said, you know, Nathan, I just don't get this because I don't understand if God wanted to tell me something, why wouldn't he just tell me? Like, why wouldn't he just tell me? Why, why does he have to go through this, this chain of people? And, and why do I have to go to this person to hear what God has to say to me through? And, and I pause and I said, what method do you think God speaks to you through? Right? Like, God could have chosen a number of methods, right? Like, he could have just, like, every morning come into our bedrooms and say, hey, here's your daily briefing, right? He doesn't, he could have done that. He could have sent, like, like do, like, a Cinderella thing, send a mouse or something and give you your morning routine. He could have, like, you know, he could have had a whole email system. He could have had a customer service line. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that he could connect with us and inform us and move in us and through us. But the primary vehicle that he actually uses is through people. And so I told this individual, I said, look, whenever someone is connected to God and sharing with you what they're experiencing from God on your behalf, guess what? That is him speaking to you. <laughs> that is a direct line from him to you so that you can experience the fullness of what he has to you. Because we were actually made to be in community together and it's in the context of community that we experience God. So it would make sense that when we neglect that community, when we neglect that connection, when we connect, neglect those relationships, that we would get to the end of our lives and regret it because we were actually designed for it. It's naturally ingrained into who we are. Now, I was thinking about this talk. Usually I start writing my talk. I think about my talk for like a whole two weeks and then I, I'm like collecting scriptures and I'm thinking about it and I'm analyzing it through the lives of so many other people and then I usually write my talk in about an hour. It's like, boom. I, got, I started writing this talk and I got to here and I was like, I have no idea what to say after this. <laughs> See, because here's the thing. Most of what needs to be said on this subject has already been said. 
In fact, we could have a whole conversation this morning about you needing to connect to people and how much God loves you because he loves people. And when you love people, you love God. And look, even if you're not a person who's connected to church, you know that people are a precious commodity and that we're designed to be in community. So I could keep saying all of those things to you in the middle of all this, but this concept is one that is an easy concept to comprehend, but it is one of the most difficult things in the world to actually engage in. And so... Here's the thing. We all know. Look, go make people priorities. Share your life. Serve others. Two are better than one. We are the body of Christ, meant to be knit together as one. Amen. Let's go home, right? And there's so much that has been written about and shared upon, and even from this stage and from our communicators, it's probably the number one thing that we talk about in our Gatherings is what it means to be intimately connected to other people in the context of faith, but it is so easy to comprehend and much difficult to actually live out. See, if you have kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because Marla and I started this parenting course just two weeks ago, and one of the things that I realized is that we do as parents over and over again is we just we think that if we keep repeating the same thing over and over again, somehow it's going to produce behavior change, right? Like, I can't tell you how many times I have told my kids, share, share, share. No, that you're supposed to share, right? And I'm stupid enough to think that if I just keep repeating this over and over to them, that somehow it's going to magically happen, right? And, and I realized what I just need to do is take the thing away when they're unwilling to share and say, thank you, goodbye, right? And then all of a sudden they're like, we need to share, right? <laughs> Because repeating the thing over and over was not what was producing transformation. It was actually intervening and doing something about it that actually transformed what was taking place in the middle of this. Because some concepts are difficult, are much easier to comprehend and easier to live out. And we know that relationships are important and we still choose otherwise with all kinds of really good excuses too. We have all kinds of really good excuses around why we don't have time and why we can't connect and why we're not willing to. So this is not a cognitive issue. You actually do not need more information on this subject in order to live free from this regret in life. And here's the thing. I actually think that we are arrogant enough to believe that this is like a modern thing that we are struggling with because of our technology and because of how busy things are now and if because how life is set up. But it's interesting that if you actually go back to the scriptures, there's this moment in this book of Hebrews where the writer says this. He says in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 23, he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, the writer of Hebrews, like thousands of years ago, actually writes to us, do not forsake the gathering of yourself together. Do not forsake community. Do not, sake, do not forsake the relationships that are most important to you that will spur you on to greater faith and to greater understanding of who God is and that will actually move you towards the life that you were actually designed to live. And then he does this really slick, passive-aggressive pastor move. And he says, do not forsake the gathering, do not forsake the gathering of yourself as some are in the habit of doing. I mean, this was a good Jewish mother scolding right here. Like... 
I'm not going to say names, but some of you aren't gathering together, right? <laughs> in the middle of this. And in and, and my family growing up, we had the universal someone that came out super passive aggressive. Like when the trash wasn't taken out, my mom would yell, someone has not pa- taken out the trash, right? <laughs> or when the dishes weren't, someone forgot to do the dishes tonight, right? And, and it was like our, it still is like our family joke. Someone forgot to whoever may be. And this is like super passive aggressive moments. But he says, look, some of you actually have forgotten what's most important here and what is going to be needed to move your life to the next level. And what's going to be needed is gathering together and not forsaking that for anything else. Now, when I read this and maybe when you read this, I think, well, well, we actually have good excuses as to why we don't have time to gather together, right? We have soccer practice, we have meetings, dinner, laundry, homework, TikTok, but, but, but I mean, really, what did they have when the writer of Hebrews is writing this, Right? Like, oh, the cow didn't give the milk today, so I'm busy, or I had to bake that loaf of bread, you know, or, you know, and then the fact of the matter is, like, when the sun goes down, there's not, like, Netflix to binge on, right? So you have, you have like, from 5.30 on to do whatever you need to do. Like, talk about connection time that's just available to you here in this moment. And yet, here they find themselves in the same complaint that we find ourselves in today, I don't have time, I don't have the energy, I don't have the resources, it's not available, blah, 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 go on with this. See, what I love about this is about realizing that this pattern has been in place in humanity for generations prior to us, is that gathering together and the forsaking of it, or lowering it down on the priority list has nothing to do with our busyness. It actually has nothing to do with the circumstances that we find ourselves in in the middle of this. See, because if they were in much simpler times and were still struggling, then there is no excuse. It's kind of like how many of you on this lockdown realize that you actually didn't want to get your house cleaned, right? Like how many of you, like before the pandemic, were always like, if I just had a week off, I would totally clean out my garage and I would clean under the bed and I would get that thing done. And then you had 18 months at home and you're like, oh man, if I only had another month, right? If Gavin Newsom just kept us locked down for just one more week, maybe I'd get to that thing. (laughs) And we realized it actually had nothing to do with our level of busyness. We just didn't want to clean the house, right? (laughs) But we use all kinds of good excuses as to why we don't get it done. And so if that's the case, if it doesn't have to do with our busyness and it doesn't have to do with the circumstances around us, then there must be something else at play that keeps us from keeping this at a high priority in our lives. See, I, I think there's a few reasons why this becomes such an issue so often. And the first issue has to do with what we discussed on week one. David, he, he wrote this ancient wisdom to us and he tells this in Psalms 90 verse 12. He says, teach us to number our days that w- we may gain a heart of wisdom. And what he's essentially saying is, hey, teach us to remember that the time that we have here on earth is a limited commodity. And so teach us to number them so that we know how to invest them well. So we know how to engage them fully so that we can actually step into the life that we were called to live, that we would not waste a single one of them. And that in that we may gain a heart of wisdom of understanding how this world works around us. See, when we fail to number our days... And when we don't recognize that the time we have here on this earth is a limited commodity, we fall into this big lie that shows up all the time in our relationships. And that is, well, I'll always have another opportunity. I'll always have another moment. 
You know, I'll get to it tomorrow, or I'm really busy now, but I'll get to it next month, or man, I, I, I know this season's really crazy, and I really should call, or I really should connect, or I really should get coffee. And the problem is, is that there are times, yes, when another opportunity comes, but more times than not, we run out of time, or they run out of time, or something happens, and then opportunities are lost in the middle of that, and we don't get another opportunity. So we often don't take the ones that are right in front of us, that are like clear open doors to step into relationship, to connect, and then we long for them later. See, this alone should create some urgency in us of recognizing like, I don't know if I'm gonna have another moment. I don't know if there's gonna be another goodbye. I don't know if we have another Christmas. I don't know if we have another birthday party. I don't know. And so use the time that you have to step into this moment. See, but I wonder if we avoid intimate relationships, gathering together, staying connected because of what being intimately connected to another human being actually requires of us of what it actually calls out of us in order to have this happen. Because it's interesting that right before this passage in Hebrew, before it tells us, hey, do not forsake the gathering of yourself together, as some are in the habit of doing, uh, before it says that, it actually informs us of what gathering together looks like and the purpose of it. And why are we to actually step into this place? Because it says that we are to gather together to spur one another onto love and to spur one another on to good acts of good deeds or acts of service. Now, we don't oftentimes use that word spur. I'm not gonna like, hey, honey, I'm gonna spur you on. That's a little weird. But um, <laughs> over a different context, right? But uh, <laughs> spur actually means to activate, to motivate, to press in that space. So let me say this another way. We are to connect to other people, to activate and to press one another on towards sacrifice and towards service. That's the purpose of us gathering together, of staying connected, of being intimate with one another, because that is actually what you were made for. You were made for love and you were made for service. And so that when we connect with one another, when we gather together, it would make sense that we are called to press one another into the greatest expressions of those elements in our lives. Have you, have you ever noticed that the healthiest relationships that you have in life actually do this? I mean, just think about the relationships that are the most intimate, that matter the most, that are the most deep, that have the most like rich texture to them. See, I noticed that in powerful relationships that are healthy and meaningful, those are oftentimes with people who have the courage and the willingness to press me on to greater acts of sacrifice and press me on to greater acts of service in the world around me. There isn't a powerful relationship on the planet that exists that doesn't require me to sacrifice and encourage another to love and sacrifice. That's exactly what relationships are designed for, supporting each other on moving forward in our relationships, having the difficult conversations when these things aren't having, engaging in uncomfortable levels of vulnerability and authenticity and connection. See, serving and encouraging one another to service requires me to constantly remind them and for to have them remind me of the greatness that I was designed to step into, not letting us settle for less than we were designed for and calling for forgiveness 
and stepping into the fullness when we are unable or unwilling to in that moment. See, we generally do not initially like the energy and effort it takes to have this happen. See, we often don't like it when someone initiates that with us and for us right off the bat. I mean, we're oftentimes grateful for it on the other side. But when someone steps into that place initially, it's uncomfortable. And then when we're pressed to be that for another, it's equally uncomfortable and awkward. And oftentimes gets very, very messy in the process. See, we really don't want someone to be that for us. And so we oftentimes say, yeah, I'm not really willing to be that for others. And so it falls down the priority list. I mean, just think about how many of you have someone who loves you enough to spur you on to love that that says, no, 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 you are going to forgive. You are going to sacrifice. You're going to keep going. And they keep calling you on your junk. I mean, how many of you have people who spur you on to service, that that call you into your greatness, that encourage you to act, that encourage you to step forward, that champion you into the life that you were designed to live? Aren't those people so annoying? They're the people that sometimes when they call, I'm like, "Eh, I don't know about this, right? Because I know the conversation's gonna be deep and it's gonna be meaningful and it's gonna be hard-pressed and it's gonna be uncomfortable, but are they also the best? <laughs> I mean, I am so grateful for people in my life who I've invited into that space, who have difficult conversations and who check me into those places that God has called me into. See, because it's relationships that are the catalyst that God uses to move and refine us into the people that he designed us to be. But there are times when we look at the work that those relationships require, at the energy and the effort that those relationships are going to call out of us. And we look at that, and let's just be honest, at times we look at that and we just say, yeah, I'm not up for that. I'm not up for that type of investment. I'm not type of up for that level of emotional junk. <laughs> I'm not up for that type of investment. And so we find ourselves taking all that energy that was designed to spur one another on to love and to service, and we redirect it to things that are more attractive or things that we feel like we can be in control of or things that will affirm how awesome we are. And so we redirect that energy towards things like work or hobbies or laundry or cooking or cleaning or life. And it makes us feel competent and in control of life So we become too busy to stay connected. But they simply become convenient excuses, but they are never actually the thing. They just become that. See, what they actually become are socially acceptable excuses for a lack of vulnerability. And they keep us from stepping into the fullness of community that we were designed to live in. See, because when we choose not to have people in our lives that spur us onto love and onto service, and when we choose to not be the person who is willing to step into relationship and spur others on to love and service, it may be more convenient, but I can guarantee you, you will eventually lose every ounce of passion that you have. And you will wander around going, why does my life feel so dull? Because there's no one spurring you on, and there's no one that you're spurring on. See, it may, be, it may be easier 
But you will eventually find that the momentum in your life will grind to a halt and you'll also be asking yourself, why, do, why is there no movement? Why do I feel so stuck? Why does my life feel like everything has kind of slowed down to a snail's pace? It's because no one is spurring you on and you are not spurring anyone else on so there is no need for momentum. See, it may be more comfortable in the moment, but it will actually lead to an immense amount of pain later. You'll find yourself wondering, how did I get here? And look at all the missed opportunities because I was unwilling to spur one another's on and others were unwilling to spur me on. There's a Proverbs in 1717 that says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. See, here's the thing is that our relationships, our connections, they're actually born for those moments that we need them the most. And so how many of you notice that there's like a lot of maintaining and maintaining and maintaining and maintaining and then there's a moment where you need it. Life happens, crisis hits. And you've been fostering that level of intimacy and connection and vulnerability and, and connection with one another. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in the middle of crisis that the depth of that relationship is needed and tested. See, and so oftentimes we neglect those closest to us and, and we just say, I'll get around to that. It'll be busy. I, I got things going on. And then all of a sudden life hits and you're like, where is everyone? Where, where are all the people that, that I need this moment when I got the diagnosis, when I found out that this thing happened, when this person in my life suddenly passed away, when, when I suddenly lost the job or when I found myself in a space of depression and anxiety that I so needed someone to show up for. We neglect and we neglect and we neglect. And when life hits, we go, where is everyone? And then we start complaining about how everyone's shallow and how everyone's not there for me and how no one's been there in the middle of this. And we wonder where we left them. See, the fact that people had this regret actually proves the necessity for community. Because what people didn't say is, you know, I wasn't connected to people, but I had a really killer career. You know, people didn't say, you know, I, 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 let, go, I let go of my connection to others and, and, and I, I was unwilling to connect and share my heart over there. But, but, you know, man, I made a ton of money. People didn't say, you know, I, I didn't have the time. I was so busy to get things done. But, man, my Instagram followers were huge, right? Because it doesn't matter what they had. In fact, most people had all kinds of things like great careers and great influence and great wealth and all kinds of opportunities that came out. But in spite of all of that, the one thing that they regretted was not staying connected to the people that they loved the most and prioritizing them above everything else. Nothing else mattered because we were made for relationship. And it is in that context that we experience the fullness of the power and the presence of Jesus. So, Actually, reverse engineering this one is quite easy, which is why we don't have to spend a lot of time on it. So you don't have people in your life, you're neglecting them, stop it. See, here's the beautiful thing about this. Go spur someone on to love. Go spur someone on to sacrifice. Right now, here in the middle of this. People come up to me all the time. They're like, I don't have friends. Everyone's shallow. People around me don't get me. What often gets me is like in the church, they're like, everyone in the church is shallow. I'm like, hmm, 
what are the odds that like a group of 120 people are all shallow and you're the one person who experiences that? Maybe the common denominator is. <laughs> but here's the great thing about that. Here's the great thing about that. You find yourself without friends, guess what? Go spur someone on to love and you have a friend. Here's the great thing. You find yourself in a, in a shallow community, go start spurring one another onto service and it gets deep. See, you actually have the power to impact this in any given moment. Great, go be someone that is love. Go be someone that is service and spur one another onto that and it transforms the entire community around you. So here is your assignment. You know me, I don't like giving assignments. I don't like telling people what to do. I like telling people how to think. I do not like to tell people what to do, but today I'm gonna tell you what to do. Pull out your phones right now. Pull out your phones. I know you, don't act like you don't have a phone. Pull it out. <laughs> I want you to think of that person that you have not called and you have not texted. I want you to think of that person that you've been avoiding because you're too busy. I want you to think of that person that you've been like, man, life's been so crazy. I had this thing and I got the kids and I got laundry and all that stuff. I want you to think about that person and I want you to text them right now and say, hey, when can we, get, when can we connect? I'm not talking about like when this service is over. I'm talking, I'm gonna give you like two minutes right now. So text them. And just say, hey, when, can we connect? Hey, when can we get coffee? Hey, I've been busy, whatever it may be. But I want you to actually do something. This is not about a nice idea around theoretically what it means to connect to another human being. This is about us transforming right here and now what it means to spur one another on to service and love. So text them. And I, don't, don't send me a bunch of text messages. I'm busy, all right? So, but <laughs> I better not get 120 text messages for coffee. Just joking. But, but text them, call, like, look, if you're like, hey, I, there, there may be some of you that are so urgent right now, you're like, I just gotta get up and go make a phone call because I realized I've been neglecting them. But this is a moment to step into this and just say, hey, it is time to interrupt this pattern of allowing busyness and allowing life and allowing schedule and allowing circumstances to get in the way when really what it is is the fear at times of intimacy and connection and not having enough and the scarcity that comes along with that. Because let me just tell you, it is only in the giving of yourself to others, spurring one another on to love and service that you will experience the fullness of God. There is no other context in which God can be experienced at that level. But then with that, as you're sending those text messages, consider inviting someone to spur you on. That as you're the one who's right now like spurring someone else onto love or to sacrifice, I want you just to consider who is someone that you can invite into your life and say, hey, I need you to spur me on to love. I need someone to, to remind me of my greatness and to say, hey, you were designed to serve and you were designed to give your life away and you were designed to forgive and you were designed to go again and you were designed to give your life away and ask someone this week, would you be that person for me? Would you be the person that constantly reminds me of my greatness and championing me into the person that God has dreamed for me to be and invite them into that type of relationship where they speak to your heart and your willingness to put down both your walls and your busyness to be there with them? See, this is the thing that transforms communities. This is the thing that allows God to move in miraculous ways all around us. Could you imagine a community of people all willing to activate and to motivate and to press one another towards sacrifice and service, no matter the discomfort, no matter the inconvenience that it caused us, 
See, not only would we be those who would live fully without regrets, but we would actually change the world in the process. We would actually remind people of what it means to be human and redefine humanity back into the image of God that he designed for us to be. Allowing yourself to be known and knowing others to be spurred on to love and sacrifice. But this type of radical love can only be done as you connect to the heart of Jesus. This, is, this can only be done when you have a savior who comes after you over and over and over again. That not just saves you from uh, eternity, but saves you in the moment when you feel like you don't have enough or when you're out of wind or when you feel like you don't have the words to say or you don't have the resources. It's that type of God who comes for you over and over and over again. It can only be done with him. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you have designed this whole master plan, this whole human experiment to be connected to one another. That the most tangible way of connecting to you is to connect to others, God, and to serve and to love and to sacrifice. And so today, God, I ask that you would remind us of that. Remind us of who we are and remind us of what others are designed to be for us. And this morning, if you're here and you have not yet connected to Jesus, or maybe you've been disconnected from him. And maybe this morning you recognize, man, I, I, I didn't realize why I've been so disconnected from others. And now I recognize it's because I've been disconnected from the God who loves others and who's calling me into that. This morning is your opportunity to connect to Jesus, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time. There's nothing weird or religious about it. It's just you stepping into relationship with him. And so I wanna give you that opportunity today. So if you're here this morning and you wanna to connect to Jesus in relationship and allow his love to fuel you, he doesn't care what you did last night. He doesn't care what you're gonna to do tomorrow night. He is just up for you right now. So if you could just lay down any shame conversation or any unworthiness conversation and just connect to him right now. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, I wanna to connect to Jesus today for maybe the first time or maybe the first time in a long time. If you're online, you can just click that button that says I'm choosing to follow Jesus today. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And they're not magic words, it's just you connecting to him like you would a friend. And just say, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I know that I am broken and I know that you came and you died for me and you came back to life so that I could live the life that you designed for me. And so I surrender to you everything so that I might step into the fullness of life. And I choose that today. I choose you as my God, as my master, as my king, because it is only in you that I can find that type of life. So I thank you, Jesus, for who you are and all that you've done. In Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Humanity Church Podcast. We hope that this was a meaningful experience and we look forward to connecting again next week for another conversation around what it looks like to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope. 
Again, for more information about Humanity Church, you can visit us online at humanitychurch.com. And if you want to support the ongoing work here at Humanity Church, including this podcast, you can give online in about 10 seconds by texting the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977. Thanks and have an amazing week.